Welcome to the Footprint Plus 2023 podcast series. The role of electricity procurement in decarbonising the UK energy system, brought to you in association with Smarter Technologies. Um, uh, this morning, my name's Matthew Margetts. I'm chairing uh, this session. Uh, the session is on the role of electricity procurement in decarbonising um, the UK um, grid. Uh, I'm joined on stage today by three experts. Uh, Rebecca Needham, who is Head of Renewables at CBRE. Um, Rebecca has a background in civil engineering and in project uh, management and delivery. Alongside her is uh, Greg Burrell, who is the founder of Appersand. And uh, Greg has a breadth and depth of experience across uh, the energy value chain. Um, and lastly, um, I'm joined by Tom uh, Watt. Tom um, is an astrophysicist by background. He, um, uh, well, 18 months ago, joined the uh, UK Green Buildings Council. Uh, and in that role, um, oversees the um, work stream that is focused on uh, the decarbonisation of the grid and the engagement of the property community. What we are going to present today is the results of the working party that has uh, consulted with the membership of the uh, UK GBC in order to define uh, or update principles and guidance on the procurement of energy that are both practical and scalable to your particular business and operations. So I'm going to now shut up and pass over to the experts and I would ask Tom to uh, lead off uh, the proceedings. Thank you. Thanks, Matthew. Morning, everyone. Uh, so, yeah, thanks very much, Matthew. Thanks, everyone, for coming and, and thanks to Footprint for, for having us today. Um, so just in terms of a, a quick agenda, uh, I'm going to be touching very briefly on who UKGBC are. I hope some of you do know who we are already. Um, but I'll also uh, set the scene of, of the context of the existing guidance and why we are in a position where we felt we needed to update it. Uh, Rebecca's then going to cover the what, which is including the role that buildings have to play in decarbonizing the energy system, and also uh, our updated three principles for quality renewable energy procurement. And then Greg is going to go into uh, the how, so the recommended actions that built environment stakeholders should look to try and pursue to help to secure procurement that is in line with the updated principles we've identified. Uh, and then we'll have a Q&A session, so anybody who wants to put any questions to us, I think you can add them through the Slido and they'll come up on the iPad, or we will have a roving mic, I think, to, uh, to go and grab people whose hands are up. Um, so yeah, very quickly, uh, who are we, who are the UK GBC? Um, I'm sure we've got some members in the room, but we are a member-based organization uh, whose mission is to radically improve the sustainability of the built environment uh, by transforming the way it is planned, designed, constructed, maintained, and operated. Um, so we're, a, we're one of a global network of about 50 national green building councils, and we're linked very closely with the World Green Building Council, uh, and we seek to deliver solutions that help to drive the built environment uh, towards a more sustainable future. Um, and this includes nature-based solutions and resilience, circular economy, uh, policy, innovation, and I sit in the Advancing Net Zero team. And this project has been delivered through the Advancing Net Zero program. Uh, we've got over 700 members from across the UK built environment. Um, and this puts us in a really strong position uh, representing the full 
built environment value chain in the UK to deliver solutions and guidance through consensus um, that, yeah, hopefully help us to push us in the right direction. Um, and yeah, very warm welcome to any, any members that we've got in the room. Um, so before we move on to this project, um, I wanted to briefly set the scene for why we felt the need to update our guidance on renewable energy procurement. So back in 2019, the Advancing Net Zero program published uh, the framework definition for net zero carbon buildings. So this was the first attempt at trying to create a consensus definition for net zero carbon buildings in the UK. Uh, it was a hierarchical approach, and the final two steps on that guidance or on that hierarchy were to uh, procure renewable energy and to offset any residual emissions. Um, now, at, the, at that point in time, there wasn't any comprehensive guidance on how to procure renewable energy or carbon offsets in a way that aligns with that net zero principle. So we ran a project to develop uh, guidance to support that. Um, and specifically around uh, renewable electricity procurement or renewable energy procurement, it identified three principles for quality procurement. And they, those are on the screen at the moment. That's energy attribute, so having the renewable certificate that is associated with the power. Uh, renewable source, so actually coming from renewable uh, generators or renewable sources. And finally, additionality. Um, I'm not going to dwell on these now because we've actually updated those and uh, I think uh, Rebecca's going to go into those in a lot more detail. Um, but the guidance related back to how the energy procurement can then relate to, to net zero carbon claims. But why do we need to update the guidance given it was only published in 2021? Um, well, there are a couple of key reasons. Uh, firstly, while the principles are still very valid, principles of good quality procurement, um, the existing guidance is very binary. Either you meet the three principles very robustly through a quite an ambitious procurement strategy, or you may as well procure the lowest quality option in the market. Um, but that doesn't reflect the fact that there are a range of different options uh, that each have uh, different levels of contribution to decarbonizing the wider energy system. Um, we had a lot of feedback from stakeholders implementing the existing guidance that it's very challenging to, uh, to, to, to robustly meet those three principles. Um, and we wanted to develop guidance that was as accessible and as applicable to the broad range of stakeholders that we have within our membership and within the UK built environment. Um, I think the second thing to say is that there's been a lot of movement in the industry and in the space in the last year and a half, two years. Um, so you can see on the screen there's uh, reports from the likes of the Climate Change Committee, the International Energy Agency, National Audit Office, National Grid, uh, and the UN that all uh, describe and explore the importance and the role that buildings have to play in decarbonizing the energy system and the role that decarbonizing an electricity system has in delivering net zero globally. Um, so for that reason, we wanted to review and reflect on all of that progress that has been made in the last couple of years to ensure that the, our guidance is still robustly responding to that need to decarbonize uh, the electricity system. Um, I also wanted to quickly touch on the UK Net Zero Carbon Building Standard. Uh, I sit on the technical steering group for that project and also co-lead the top-down task group. Uh, and that top-down task group is, uh, is looking at what role buildings have to play or what, what is necessary for buildings to demonstrate that they're very robustly aligned with what is needed to deliver net zero at a national level. And a significant role or part of that is in having buildings that enable a net zero energy system. So uh, we really hope that this guidance that we've been producing uh, uh, with the UK GBC task group will be complementary to the net zero building standard once it's published. Um, and there will be an update on the net zero building standard in a couple of weeks time uh, and a period of public consultation for about two or three months. Uh, so I'd encourage anyone in the audience to respond to that if they can, uh, it would be very helpful. Um, 
So I think without further ado, that's probably enough from me. I'm going to hand over to Rebecca, who's going to go through the why of uh, why buildings have an important role to play in decarbonizing the energy system. Thanks. Hello, hello. Sound check. Great. Uh, thank you, Tom. Um, so uh, the role of buildings and procurement in decarbonizing the electricity system, why? So in terms of why it's important to the built environment, um, so it's, it's broadly understood that the built environment corresponds to about 40% of global greenhouse gas emissions, but specifically to the UK, 25% of the annual electricity consumption is for commercial buildings alone, and 8% of that is for domestic buildings. Now, in, according to the, U, well, the UK GBC's Whole Life Carbon Roadmap, Commercial buildings need to reduce their emissions by 80% by 2030 to be in line with that 1.5 degree trajectory. Now, not only do they need to reduce their overall emissions, but about 85% of commercial buildings will need to be electrified. So the overall electricity demand is going to increase while we also have to reduce our overall emissions. Now, obviously, in order to achieve this, the grid needs to decarbonize, and the, 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 national, uh, the national goal, the net zero target, is to decarbonize the grid and achieve net zero by 2035. And the procurement of renewable energy and customer demand is, is a key part of ensuring that investors and developers can justify their investment because there is demand on the customer side. And then lastly, another statistic for you, um, looking at that whole net zero sort of target, electrification across various sectors, um, and also reducing um, emissions, it's estimated that six times more solar and wind is gonna be required compared to last summer um, by 2050 in order to achieve all of those goals. So it's very important. And then why at a corporate and business level? So that was why from a decarbonization, the built environment level, why at a corporate level? Now most businesses will, will have sort of a net zero targets and greenhouse gas reporting um, goals. So looking at your greenhouse gas reporting, you have your scope one, two, and three emissions. And most corporates will have made a target to achieve net zero in their operational emissions at a much shorter time than overall. So we're seeing 2030 being the most ambitious, 2035, 2040. And that means achieving net zero for your scope one and two. So that's directly what gas you burn for your, build for your operations and scope two is what further energy you consume. Now, aside the sort of the, the net zero ambitions, there's also the benefit of price security and reducing of overall OPEX for the businesses as well. You know, the last two years, we've seen the electricity market go completely nuts as a consequence of, of the war in Ukraine and an outcome of COVID. And securing um, power purchase agreement prices that are pretty much set into the future, you know, increasing with inflation, 
really provides businesses with protection against future volatile electricity markets um, and reduces their overall um, OPEX of the business. Now in terms of offsetting and the way in which decarbonisation is approached is that offsetting is very much the last in the pecking order. As Tom mentioned before, you know, you reduce your energy consumption of the building, you make the building more efficient, you then install on-site renewables if it's possible, procure renewable energy, and it's only really if you've got um, sort of leftover emissions that can't be met by all of those means that you then look to offset. Offsetting can be done through um, you know, the, the, uh, the investment of renewables at the moment and also carbon, carbon capture and storage sequestration. Um, I guess the point is, is that you, as businesses, you can't just offset ev everything. Um, offsetting is a, last, is a sort of a last resort, and so the procurement of renewable energy is going to be absolutely key um, to achieving any of your net zero um, targets. And then lastly, tenants. Coming from CBRE, which is a property company, we work with landlords and tenants across the world to work towards their decarbonisation strategy, and tenants are absolutely key. Um, firstly, um, just the procurement of renewable energy for them, which not only goes towards their decarbonisation, but also landlords' decarbonisation, but also um, the tenants sort of um, what their requirements are now in order to be leasing buildings. Do, do they require the technology in order for them to uh, be monetizing their energy consumption? Um, are they expecting landlords to be procuring um, renewable energy as a consequence of their leases, um, etc.? So the tenants are extremely important in this transition. Now, in terms of what's coming up in the, in the new guidelines being released later this year, as Tom mentioned before, the, uh, the, net, uh, the Net Zero Buildings guidelines released a few years ago looked at three principles. And these have all been updated, or will be updated in the new guidelines. And the, the quality of renewable energy procurement um, will be determined based on the performance of three main principles. So firstly is the renewable source, and in the previous guidelines this was actually broken up into two, so the definition of the renewable source and then the attributes that went with that, this has now been combined into one category. So what the renewable source is and the certification that comes with that. Now in the UK, every one megawatt hour of renewable energy produced comes with what is known as a REGO certificate, um, and there'll be a requirement to ensure that that is matched directly with that, with that renewable um, generation. It's bundled together. Secondly, there's the additionality. And the additionality is the extent to how much the procurement of that renewable energy contributes into creating additional renewable energy capacity. So that'll be a really key one. And then the time matching, and this is a relatively new principle that is coming out um, and being used across the market, um, and it's very much a new addition to these new guidelines. And that is where, at the moment, you as a company can claim 100% renewable energy on an annual basis. 
and the industry is moving towards what is known as time matching and that is looking at it in a much more granular sense and looking at it on an hourly by hourly basis or even a half hourly basis. So however much energy you use at 1 p.m. versus 2 a.m., that hour is going to be need to, need to be matched to the renewable generation as well. Now it's important to note that these three principles are very much focused on the procurement of off-site um, renewables and there is also the consideration of installation of on-site renewables and flexibility on-site, so the installation of, um, of storage as well. Um, arguably uh, a better solution, but I'm biased because that's the sort of work that I do. Um, Rebecca, can I uh, leap in? Yes, yes. Hello, yeah. Um, just to, can you catch me? Um, this is obviously the key uh, sort of meat and potatoes of this presentation. And I'd just like to draw out, if I, if I may, Tom, on additionality uh, and, and what does that look like? And then equally, uh, Greg, could you just give us your view on time matched? Because this is a new, this is a new point. I think, Rebecca, obviously, to your point on renewables, this is, again, very much your... Uh, modus operandi. Could you just tell us what renewable, if you start, just give us a bit more definition on renewable at the asset level. What does that look like? What do you think that should be? What could that be? So renewables at the asset level, so I guess, so, so off-site renewables, firstly, is, is mainly solar, wind, biomass. Um, there's various, uh, well, um, um, hydropower, um, there's a list of renewable sources for, for the off-site source. But in terms of on-site renewables, what we're seeing is uh, primarily is on-site solar, so rooftop solar or solar carports. Um, the reason for that is because most businesses go to work during the day um, and there is a huge amount of unutilized roof space. So that, that is the main renewable source that we're seeing. Cool. Tom. Thanks, Matthew. Yeah, I think additionality is one of those really challenging topics which is so critical uh, to both renewable procurement and offsetting because without it, you're just taking a share of the emissions reductions that are already in existence. So for in the context of renewable procurement, if you're just taking a share of the renewables that are already there without driving the deployment of new renewables, you're not causing any net reduction in emissions at a system level. The challenge is that um, additionality is traditionally defined quite rigidly where you have to show a direct financial contribution to more renewable capacity. Uh, and that was what was embedded in the original guidance. But we know from reviewing the literature and looking at the market, there are lots of ways that procurement can drive both directly and indirectly additional renewable capacity. Um, so a good example is energy suppliers. If you're, if you're joining an ambitious green energy supplier, uh, they're not going to suddenly magic a new solar farm to be able to meet the additional demand that you're adding to them. But if they've got a pipeline of new projects over a three or five year period that is sufficient to meet all of the new demand from customers, then they can be, sh or they're showing that they're robustly responding to the principle of additionality. Um, and then again, hopefully not to tread on Greg's toes too much, but if you're looking at time matching, um, the problem is at the moment, any sort of procurement without this time bound nature only drives demand for the cheapest forms of new renewables on the grid, so more wind and more solar. 
But the problem is we're going to reach a point where more wind and more solar isn't going to decarbonize the grid anymore because the demand isn't going to be present when the supply is available. So if you start to time match and you're procuring a time match tariff, you're sending the demand signals for the right type of renewables, the right type of supporting infrastructure like energy storage uh, at the right time to, meet, to best meet the demand. So even procuring a time match tariff uh, can be indirectly contributing towards additionality. So the new guidance is much more pragmatic about additionality um, and tries to reflect the range of different ways that procurement can contribute to additional capacity um, at a system level without being restrictive and trying to drive the most rapid change of the system. Right. Uh, so when I think of time matching, um, I always think firstly uh, of this uh, page that Google has on 24-7 time matching. So if you haven't seen this, go on Google Sustainability and look for renewable energy time matching. It's extraordinary. You will see all their data centers around the world and you will see that you know, some of those data centers have been 90 plus percent renewable matched over the last 24 hours, over the last seven days. And this is live. Why do they do that? Why did they come up with time matching and being completely transparent about their performance and driving that, uh, that time matching across the world? Um, stepping back to you know, Google getting into renewable energy, and they went through all those three principles. Back in 2007, they started quite early. They thought, oh, we're going to be 1% to 2% of global energy demand potentially one day. We're going to get in trouble, right? So we're going to have to define the cutting edge of green energy in order to maintain our license to operate. So they had a very clear rationale. They thought, let's go do this. this. They were the first to match everything they use with renewable energy, with big virtual PPAs. And then they thought, hold on, that's not enough, right? So if I'm buying PV in Spain whilst I'm burning the energy in the UK, it's kind of contestable that I'm making an impact. So they thought, I want it to be physical, I want it to be local. And then they came up with additionality. They said, oh, we're going to invest so that we're not taking somebody else's green energy, we're getting our own. And then they thought, okay, that's all great. So we've done all of that. But if we don't have time matching, there still is a flaw in the system. So we're going to put time matching, we're going to be completely transparent about it. And we're saying, if I use a large PV farm next to my data center, a very large one for a data center, and it produces 10 hours a day in a lucky country, um, and I'm running my data center at night, well, I'm still pulling from the grid. And at night, it's not solar that's getting in it. So I am producing carbon. So I'm going to calculate my carbon based on the time matching. And I only count as renewable the renewable that has been produced for me by my assets at the time I use it. So of course, Google being Google, you know, it's a tall order, right? Google being Google, they can oversupply, they can trade, uh, they can do load balancing on their side, they apply their AI, they do that all very smartly, but they're ahead of that game, right? And by doing that, they've created a path that we are slowly all following. You know, a few years back, we were thinking, oh, green energy, that's great. Then we thought about, oh, uh, is it local? Is it physical? Where is that certificate coming from? Uh, is it additional? And now is it time matching, right? So that's why, that's why it's key. Cool, thank you. Uh, Rebecca, could you uh, lead us through the rest of the presentation? Uh, this is actually when I pass over to Greg. Oh, yeah. Couldn't have timed that segue better. Over to you, Greg. Uh, right, it's here. Um, well, so 
So why and what have been brilliantly covered? So obviously the how is the easy part. Unfortunately, not so, right? Uh, if you've been on the market for energy the last two years, you're lucky if you get any. Not to mention green or time-matched or additional energy. That's not on the table at the moment. And that's been one of the key takeaways of the whole exercise. Uh, you know, talking with a built environment community that's very aware of those new dimensions of the standards they want to drive, but really not getting options on the market unless you're Google big or data center big and you can do PPAs and get the renewable energy you want, right? Um, just to give a little bit more background on where I'm coming from on this, so um, at Ampersand we're net zero strategists and our core mission is to accelerate transition to net zero. The way we do this is by you know, providing the business case, really the deep rational, the how will you differentiate yourself based uh, on your net zero performance. We do that to accelerate net zero because it's, it's kind of hard to make those decisions uh, without seeing what's in it for you. It's hard to get investment from a board without having uh, a clear business case. And in that context, we think uh, the uh, built environment sort of demand side procurement behaviors do matter and will accelerate renewable energy because there's a collective power that's huge in terms of pulling the right solutions from the market. So are they there today? Is this house section is going to tell you, oh, go for option A and you're fine. No, unfortunately, no. It's going to tell you, you need to ask for those things. You need to ask for transparency. You need to push for better product. And I think what started in this working group that's been a, a brilliant experience in terms of sharing, thanks to UK GBC and all the participants of the project group, it is, well, the market's not ready, but we're going to do, basically we're going to measure ourselves on how hard we push to get that market ready. So what does that look like? Putting those three principles into, into action, right? So make sure green energy is actually renewable. Should go without saying, but you know, Tom's described it, you can buy a green product and buy a lot of not very green energy and a lot of, you know, roughly allocated, as Rebecca explained, certificates on top. So what does that do? It's probably better than nothing. So it does give a little bit kickback to the energy industry for providing some certificates somewhere, but it's not great, right? So, so make sure it's 100%, make sure it's 100% UK to start with, so we are done with you know, uh, buying solar power in Spain because it's cheaper. Doesn't really work in terms of greening our own grid in the UK. Um, maximize the proportion of you know, what's behind the supply is really what you want to ask. I'm going to get a green tariff from a supplier. Where is my energy coming from? Can you show traceability to some assets? What do you own at the back of it? What PPAs do you have at the back of it? It doesn't matter if it's contracted or owned, but at least show me that you're getting this and that it's relevant to my activity. Um, and then, you know, look what's in the mix, really. And additionality, I mean, Tom's explained, right? You can't, Google can, we can't all go for, oh, yes, I'm, you know, going to uh, sign 20-year contracts on uh, offshore wind assets. If you want big additionality at the moment, you're on round three, round four offshore wind bidding for very big contracts uh, with risks that you know, your CFO doesn't want to see. So how do you do that? Well, you go ask your supplier. Say, well, I want the benefits. I want everything a PPA has without doing a PPA if you can't. I want 
access to additionality through your pipeline. So show me that you're bringing to market more assets and that I'm plugging into this. Show me that as I stay with you over the years, more and more new renewable generation is coming in and you're not just buying bulk certificates somewhere in there. And same for the time matching. At the moment, go ask for half hourly or hourly data on your contract. You'll get a blank stare from uh, your supplier being like, uh, what is it you're talking about, right? So, but you know, the guidelines will show, so will give you some pointers on how to do this, how to press, what are the tools that exist. It is possible today to get that information. We need to push for it uh, and as much as possible disclose it. Um, the guideline also contains a guidance that says, you know, well, are you at 25 gigawatt hours? Are you a very large energy user, medium or small? Uh, what can you do today? What can you do later? And the case in point here is very much the smaller end of the market. If you've got a portfolio of a few buildings and you're doing your best, you want to push renewable energy at the highest quality, uh, does it matter as much? Should you be doing something? Does it matter as much as the very large portfolios that can afford different things? I would say you know, there are more small players on the market, uh, so collectively they matter more, uh, and they will be the voice of the market to suppliers. So pushing for, for transparency is something you can do today. Pushing for transparency from the supply side and also your own transparency to the market, saying, well, I'm going to disclose all of this. I'm going to do what Google does. Granted, it's not going to be the same level of matching, but I'm going to tell you where I am and I'm going to tell you what I'm doing to drive it deeper into the, the green. Um, and then in the long term, um, you know, progress that transparency, drive the KPIs, and get from the suppliers to drive those KPIs for you, right? They will be bringing quality and flexibility to help you do that matching. So unfortunately, I mean, the, the ideal way to do this would be to say, I've got one KPI in my supply, and that's my carbon content. So I've got this many grams per kilowatt hour. That would be the ideal way to do it. You say, well, this is where the energy is coming from. This is how much is time matched, with additionality to the side as an attribute of my portfolio, demonstrating that. And then I can calculate the carbon. We can't do that today. We've tried with some of our clients. You know, you can get to something that looks like that, but you can't really say, this is the real carbon in my energy. So the guidelines will give some tools you know, to do that. So some quantitative the metrics, the KPIs that we've described and how to calculate it and how to drive those. Some qualitative questions, you know, what do I need to ask to the suppliers? And an overall rating system, so acknowledging that you know, we don't have all the data to do the full science, where we're going to rate and compare and benchmark and say, oh, well, this is a bit better than that. And the guidelines will give some tools to do that. The great thing from this exercise is, you know, well, yes, it's hard, the market's not ready, but things are happening. On the supply side, there was a wide engagement. So we talked to a lot of different utilities, you know, some of them, the big aggregators, uh, the big leaders of the uh, market, some of them more specialized renewable developers, some of them big oil and gas that have a retail arm. And we see things. We see, we see supply contracts that are backed by PPAs with traceability coming to market. 
we see some suppliers even thinking about those KPIs and giving you that transparency, including the time matching. Okay, not quite ready, but coming to market. Um, we see that the sector understands where this is all going. So at the back of the energy crisis, a bit of readiness to say, yeah, okay, we can do better for our commercial customers. We're not, we've not been really helpful. We've been focusing on the very big assets and the big PPAs. We can do better than that. We see technology, and that's the risk for utilities. If they don't do it themselves, you know, history will repeat itself, they're going to get disrupted a little bit here. So you see platforms that give the transparency, offer the utilities and the end user uh, the full transparency of what they're having. So we've talked a lot with a platform that's fantastic, it's called Granular. Uh, I don't own shares, but you know, it's a great force of good in terms of getting that transparency to the market. They work with suppliers so that the end user can see what's in the mix. Um, and then, you know, if you can't do PPAs, can you have access to a fraction of it? You know, that's what the likes of Ripple will do with, okay, well, you ought to buy a split of a solar asset somewhere, it's there. And then the consumer side, it's everything this group has been doing, you know, pushing for those metrics. And I just want to say, two years ago, again, like we would not have this conversation on how green is green. Uh, today, the level uh, of scrutiny that's going to be on the procurement is much heightened, and you know, it's, it, gives, it gives hope. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Greg. I'm actually um, just going to go back a slide, uh, slightly on vested interests. I, I represent a technology firm. Our technology actually does uh, uh, real-time live matching, so it's already there. But this is an interesting interplay, and I think uh, we are going to go on to questions. But it is a um, triage of engagement as um, consumers of energy with your supply companies to demand contracts and to ask for better products and we're aware that people are moving in this direction to meet them and there are technology firms that are there to support you in this um, movement. Now, um, I'm just going to go back again a couple of slides to the rating system and, and, and points around that but please if you've got any questions we can either go through the app or the old-fashioned way stick your hand up and wave at me and I will uh, we'll get a microphone to you. So does anyone have any questions? Gentlemen in green, can we get a microphone down? <laughs> here, have we got one? Here, this one here, front, on the, uh, the left. If you could say who you are and um, your organization, that would be helpful. Hi, hi panel, thanks for that. Uh, Jason Horner, Hilson Moran. Um, my question's around scale and who we approach. Now, in months, years gone by, we understood the term power purchase agreement, a PPA. So we would go and talk to uh, a, a, a small local solar farm operator, a landowner, for example. Now, we could, in theory, tie the solar generation for that to a new development we might be developing via a very, very simple bilateral power purchase agreement. Now, that seems, PPAs as I understand it, are incredibly difficult to get hold of, and I know there's lots of different types of PPA. So, is the world in which we, as looking at smaller scale development, smaller scale asset estates, we're probably not looking at PPAs, and should we be looking at the PPA within the Rego, or we just concentrate on going to the suppliers, not going to the generators? Um, I think that's one for you, Greg, if you can... Yeah, 
Great, great. Thank you for that question. Rebecca mentioned on-site renewable. It's the most additional, right? Bring your own. It's the best thing you can do. The next best thing you can do is nearby pull a cable or plug into an asset that's actually you know, in your distribution area. Uh, and we, actually, we completely see development of that market quite fast. Why? Because there's not going to be enough big renewables okay, compared to uh, the B2B demand that's coming up and the level of commitment to net zero. Uh, the bot unless the bottlenecks, regulatory bottlenecks on the big assets get released, there's not going to be enough. There's going to have to be a distributed answer to that. So you will see investors building PV plus battery to help you do your high quality renewable time matched on contract basis. And we think you know, the flexibility of those contracts will be greater than big PPA level. So you will find partnerships or opportunities, some medium-sized real estate companies have already got you know, capital in the, the assets themselves, but there will be all, all sorts of ways to participate. So there is innovation on the market and there is fragmentation of that so that you don't have that big scale requirement anymore. So I think it's, it is the direction of travel and there will, be, there will be new solutions coming up and there are already uh, things to look out for. Okay, does that answer your question? Cool. <laughs> Any other questions from the floor? Gentleman in the pink shirt at the back. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thank you for the panel. Um, so I'm, my name is Bertie. I, I work for Electro. We're a software company helping uh, organizations to measure their operational impact. Um, I guess my question has two parts. The first is, it seems like there's a lot of work to go into getting low carbon power here. And how much of the responsibility do you think does need to be with the supplier in the first place? Just to say that anybody can procure something and they give you all the relevant information that you need. And then the second one is, um, and it was touched upon slightly, is that most of the stakeholders here are actually smaller companies. So I think in the UK, there's about a quarter of a million companies below 250 people. They're going to be the ones a lot of the time doing this. And one of the challenges we often see is that these companies can't get the information from their landlords. So what do you think they can actually do to sort of make it much easier to give that information quickly when it's requested? Because we see a lot of demand for it, but it's, even though it's a small amount of that total impact, it's often some of the most difficult information to get hold of. So maybe it's technology as a solution there, but how do you think they can actually help the smaller companies to, to get hold of that data. Okay, so question in two parts. I think, Rebecca, if you could lead off in terms of the small company and also, is it our responsibility? Is it the supplier's responsibility? Why should I get concerned? So if you can answer that, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So I think in terms of, is it the supplier's responsibility? And I think the the the... The, the biggest objective of this guidelines is to actually put pressure on the suppliers to to develop the generation in line what the market is asking for. So if it is smaller businesses within either their own bus uh, their own building or maybe an FRI lease building where they're responsible for their own procurement, they if they're asking those questions of the supplier now, it might not be available now. But the suppliers, if they're being asked that question by you know, businesses across the UK, then they will change their strategy in terms of where the, the investment for generation is. So 
by no means are we saying that it's a, you know, achievable now, but if we ask the questions of the suppliers now, the intention is that it will be available in the, you know, in the near future. Um, for your second question and the emphasis on kind of having, having the available information from the landlord, again, it's asking the landlord the right questions. And if the landlords are being asked these questions by tenants and if there is any risk that the tenants are going to move out of the building, the landlords will do it. So if you are within a multi-occupancy office building and, you know, it's... Um, you're paying a service charge for, for the electricity that you consume. If, if the businesses within that building are asking the landlord, we want half-hourly metering data so that we can do the appropriate reporting, or we want transparency on the type of energy that you're procuring, if the landlords don't have that information at the moment, they'll, they'll be worried that you're going to move out of the building. So I guess the recommendation is just ask it of the landlord. We at CBRE work with landlords and occupiers. And at the moment, in the landlord world, there is a huge push for data collection. Um, that's not only from kind of a tenant expectancy, but that's also from an investor you know, reporting basis. Um, depending on the metrics that they're using to report on their own net zero goals, data collection is absolutely vital for them to achieve them. So ask, ask it of the landlord now. If they can't do it now, expect, expect them to make changes in the near future, okay. I guess. Thank you, Rebecca. That's a great one. So basically, demand it, <laughs> get it, force it. Uh, gentleman in the front here. Supply it. Okay. Sorry. I've got, uh, I'm going to, yes, he's, he's sort of answered, but I'm going to just ask one question, which is my privilege as chairman, and you have to listen to it, so there you go. A rating system. Anyone who works in the sustainability industry will recognise another system. What is this one hold for us? Is it a good thing, Tom? You know, you're a member-driven organisation. Is this more bureaucracy? Tell us about the rating system. What does it mean and how does it work? Thanks, Fatih. Yeah, I think it's a very good question, and I recognise I'm also sat here uh, representing the UK Net Zero Carbon Building Standard, which again is a, another another rating scheme or standard that people have to align with. Um, and yeah, rating fatigue or certification fatigue is a real risk, but I think we have come to realise that there isn't anything doing what this is trying to do for energy procurement. Uh, I think. There's been an ornamental, almost ornamental distinction between the operational efficiency of buildings and then the decarbonisation of the energy system as a whole. And actually, you realise that what's in front of the meter and what's behind the meter and the relationship between the two is quite ornamental. And buildings have a really important role to play in delivering a resilient, decarbonised energy system. That will support the decarbonisation of the, of the whole UK as a whole. So where this rating system is important is what our existing guidance did quite well was establish what principles for good procurement are, but what it didn't do is recognize that there's a broad range of different ways you can engage in the energy market, and the accessibility of those different options varies massively depending on what sort of stakeholder you are. And uh, it didn't do anything to encourage incremental progress or incremental change. So hopefully by providing a rating system that allows you to benchmark yourself anywhere on this broad range of performance, 
it will let you know where you are today and it will tell you what you need to do to make progress in future to push the energy system towards where we need to be, irrelevant of what type of stakeholder you are. Um, so yeah, I'd say the short answer is because there isn't anything doing what this is doing at the moment uh, and the industry needs it. Okay, so that's a great distinction. This is an opportunity for your uh, procurement teams to upskill. Standards are there, they are designed for companies of all sizes so that ultimately uh, the end product is delivered, which is the decarbonisation of the grid. Uh, we're up on time. Um, if you do have questions, the panel will be hanging around, uh, so just come up and talk to them. So it just falls to me to thank Tom, to thank Rebecca, and to thank Greg for their time and effort and energy, and this presentation will be available to share after this um, show. So thank you very much for your time. Thanks, everyone.